presidency. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Hello and welcome to Backchat with Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. Uh, And on Backchat this morning, uh, we're talking about um, electric vehicles on the road and electric buses in particular, uh, with uh, KMB uh, yesterday launching 16 new uh, electric buses onto the road uh, there on uh, the route number six between uh, Lai Chi Kok and Chim Sa Choi. And it turns out KMB is also... Um, uh, ordered a number... These are single-decker buses, by the way, launched yesterday, but they've ordered uh, a number of uh, double-deckers, 52 double-deckers, which are due to arrive next year. So the the fleet of uh, electric buses uh, is increasing. Uh, We're joined um, in the studio by Alok Jain, the CEO of TransConsult and a member of the Council for Decarbonising Transport in Asia. And in our Admiralty studio, uh, Paul Bromley, a managing director of Phoenix Business Consulting. That's a company advising on transport uh, solutions globally, but uh, primarily focused on electric vehicles. Uh, And also on the line... Uh, we have Dr. Kenneth Leung, who's uh, an assistant director responsible for air policy at the Environmental Protection Department. Um, good morning to you all. Perhaps uh, if we could ask uh, uh, Kenneth Leung first. Uh, hello, thanks for joining us. Hello, good morning, Jim. So how significant uh, is this uh, development with the arrival of uh, 16 new uh, single-decker buses uh, launched yesterday by KMB? Oh, we definitely welcome KMB's decisions to really launch a larger batch of new buses. Uh, the government has been uh, providing financial as well as technical support to the uh, franchise gub- uh, bus companies in the past 10 years to try out electric buses uh, so that they could gain uh, experience in operating e-buses as well as refine the design for e-buses which is suitable for Hong Kong. Uh, KMB's decisions definitely uh, signify the maturity of the technology so that uh, we can really move forward in transforming the whole uh, bus uh, fleet into a EV version in the future. Is the process moving fast enough? I mean, you, you said you've been providing incentives for the past 10 years, but the, the number of electric buses on the road is still uh, uh, pretty small, isn't it? Well, you have to look at the technology itself because the bus operating in Hong Kong, in particular, the double-decker buses, quite different around the world, I would say, is the most challenging one. So uh, the, the, the bus comp- uh, manufacturer could not actually produce a product viable in Hong Kong. So that's why our trial in the past few years enabled the bus company to select and determine the design. So I think that uh, by uh, this move of KMB, uh, the pace of transforming the e-buses or, or buses com- uh, feed into e-version will pick up and move faster. So these these buses are made by the uh, mainland manufacturer BYD. So uh, is their design particularly suitable for the roads here? Oh yes, because uh, we have tried out their buses in our previous uh, test program. So they definitely have uh, made use of the test data to refine the bus design. And uh, I think that uh, for the double-decker bus to be uh, delivered next year, similar uh, refinement in the design should have been adopted. Mm. 
So, yeah. Dr. Lang, these um, new electric buses will be deployed on Route 6, uh, which is in Kowloon. Um, how about on the Hong Kong side? Do you think, um, uh, you know, with double-decker buses and with uh, steeper roads um, on Hong Kong Island side, um, this would be more challenging? Uh, yeah, definitely. This is what we have found previously. And that's why in the, at, the, at the moment, most of the buses deployed in the Hong Kong Island for single uh, single deck bus or V version. Uh, however, I know I noticed that another company, uh, bus company in Hong Kong, they are trying out double decker E buses soon. So that has been proved to be able to run on hilly road uh, conditions. So, and definitely with the advancements of the battery technology. Uh, it will overcome the difficult operation conditions in Hong Kong very soon. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll come to Paul Bromley in a moment, but uh, uh, Alok Jane, um, so you're a member of the Council for Decarbonising Transport in Asia, so how significant is this uh, introduction of this uh, latest uh, fleet of buses going to be for, for cutting carbon levels? I, I understand about 70% of Hong Kong's carbon emissions come from transport. Yeah, that's correct. And, and obviously, this is something Hong Kong uh, has been a bit lagging behind. I mean, if you look at our neighboring city, Shenzhen, they had converted their entire 16,700 buses by 2017 June. So it is uh, it's high time that we, we go through this transition. But as Kenneth uh, uh, pointed out, some of those challenges uh, are very particular to Hong Kong. We have very onerous duty cycles here, you know, the, the range that they run every day. So electric buses, putting them on the road in Hong Kong was always a challenge. But I think now the technology is moving very fast. The batteries are getting better and better every year. The prices are coming down. So finally, and, and you know, coincidentally, although I know KMB has not really planned for this, but the oil prices have gone up very significantly in last uh, few months. So this is absolutely timely. What is significant, I think, right now is it's the first time a bus uh, operator in Hong Kong has on their own commercially decided to induct electric buses into the fleet. And I think that's a very significant move. Prior to this, all the buses were either subsidized by the government. Uh, and, and I think this transition, uh, that is why it is important, because I think this really makes it viable in Hong Kong conditions. So what are the more favorable conditions in Shenzhen, just across the border, that, that we don't have? Um, so then, you know, they could change their fleets uh, to uh, electric vehicles so quickly. Is it a land issue or is it a policy issue or other issues? Well, I would say there are three things there. One is obviously there are a lot of subsidies that the government has provided there for making the transition to, to what they call new energy. And the second one is obviously, uh, I think their risk appetite, let's put it this way, mm. uh, is um, is slightly higher. They, they take, they're ready to you know, take chances, put things on the road, and adapt very quickly. Hong Kong, the risk tolerance is, is relatively low. We uh, always go for proven technology here. And third, of course, uh, this whole policy push in China where they wanted to also help the industry uh, to make that transition. So today, 98% of the total 600,000 electric buses in the world are actually in China. And they are adding 9,500 buses every five weeks. So they're adding a London every week in China, every five weeks in China. Mm -hmm.
Mm. And challenging issues such as the EV charging facilities, that, that could all be solved quite easily? It's an infrastructure issue. I mean, we build houses for people. I know if we, if we needed isolation facilities, we built them. We can just build the chargers as well. I don't think uh, infrastructure is always a matter of uh, providing it and, and making that transition. So I think now we are reaching that point where even the electric cars in Hong Kong are going up and you can find electric charger in almost every mall. Mm. already yeah. mm. okay so uh, paul bromley good morning to you uh, good morning uh, thanks for joining us uh, so can we now expect uh, do you think this process of transition to electric buses indeed uh, electric vehicles in general to accelerate well as alok says the um the, there is a uh, it, it there's a lot to be done with infrastructure and as as he mentioned about Shenzhen, Shenzhen was heavily subsidized and i i i don't believe that subsidy is the is the correct approach it's more about facilitation through government um and and in doing so it's like the infrastructure so in planning regulations or even uh even you know leases on fuel on on fuel filling stations there's nothing to stop the government saying oh a fuel filling station has to have a minimum of two ev charging points because if you make that a rule for everyone then it's still a free and fair competition but you know and, and referring back to what uh, dr lung said it's about evolving technologies well the technologies are already there now a different Different uh, vehicles have different solutions. You know, if, if I wanted just um, a small two-wheeled e-bike, for instance, I'd, I'd swap the batteries out and charge it up at home. If I wanted a car, you know, I could leave it on charge overnight. When you get to heavier commercial vehicles, such as, for instance, um, an aeroplane is never going to fly on a full batteries because it's just in, unfeasible to put that much mass and, and to get the vehicle up in the air. But there are technologies such as hydrogen that are now evolving that can be applied down to a smaller scale. And particularly, you know, if you talk about commercial vehicles, trucks, you can do hydrogen. And certainly, as, as, as we know, there's one bus company in Hong Kong who are actually investigating that. And the only, the only caveat I would put on that is that hydrogen, it needs to be green hydrogen. You're not gonna create it through, uh, through gas, uh, uh, steam, steam reformation of gas, because that just, that's just uh, you know, environmentally unfriendly and puts extra carbon into the atmosphere. But when we get back down to KMB, I mean, I think, They've made, a, they've made a good step. It's a step in the right direction. And it, it's, it, you know, but we have to consider that KMB run 4,000 vehicles. They're currently running, you know, less than 1% of their vehicle, you know, 1% of their vehicles are electric. With next year's step in the right direction, that's going to make it roughly 2%. But we have to consider what the technologies are. You know, they're talking about, uh, you know, the, the, the latest vehicles launched yesterday have about 360 kilowatt hours of capacity on board and have to be charged for around two hours in a night. And what that entails, if you can imagine that a whole fleet of those vehicles where you're charging overnight, you, it's actually going to take a lot of grid demand. It's going to take a lot of 
uh, electricity. I mean, to charge 200 vehicles at, say, 150 kilowatts is going to take... Yeah, you're talking about 30 uh, megawatts of power, which is which is a substation level. Mm. You know, there are alternative technologies available, and this is what some people should start to be looking at. You know, in the way that you charge vehicles, because at the moment the thinking is very much along old-fashioned straight lines of, you know, I have a battery, I have to, you know, connect a red and a black wire to it and leave it overnight. There, there are better and uh, more appropriate technologies. Technologies, yeah, between what I described as the aeroplane and the and the two-wheeled bike, and as as uh, Alok mentioned, you know, I, I do I do respect that the Hong Kong companies do have a degree of risk aversity in their nature because they've got shareholders they have to be responsible to, but then again. We do need to look at some of the newer charging technologies, which comes back to the infrastructure point, rather than just subsidising vehicles. Mm. Yeah, qu quite. Uh, OK, uh, Kenneth Leung, yeah. obviously uh, the point was made there by Paul Bromley that um, charging a fleet of electric vehicles, uh, it takes a, a lot of electricity. That electricity has to be generated. Uh, are there any figures to show um, the level of emissions uh, from power stations uh, which result from that compared with the, the level of emissions which are saved by using electric vehicles instead of uh, diesel or petrol vehicles? Okay, and that different types of pollutants. Yeah. Okay, I could not tell you the exact figure at this moment, but you have to think about uh, if you look at the CO2 emissions, okay, uh, a diesel or even petrol vehicle it is not very energy efficient. So if you change that fleet into an EV version, the equivalent power used uh, by that EV and generated by the power company is much less than the vehicle's usage itself. So, I mean, from that point of view, from the carbon neutrality point of view, converting the vehicle fleet into EV definitely has the benefit. Okay. And, and so, uh, other type of pollutants, because uh, uh, at the power plant, we have bad control of the, of the chimney, as well as we are converting the fuel mix into RNG, uh, as well as uh, based on nuclear. So the emissions from RNG is much, much lower than coal combustions. And that is also one of the reasons that uh, by converting the fleet, uh, the vehicle fleet into a EV version, we'll have benefits from the air quality as well as the carbon footprint uh, point of view. Okay. And, then, and then Hong Kong is committed to ending the use of coal for electricity generation by 2035. That's right. Mm -hmm. So... Um Yes, a trial for uh, electric taxis will start next year, and then uh, uh, minibuses, etc. So, uh, would I go back to to the point of infrastructure? Uh, how many EV charging facilities do we need? I note that taxis are already queuing up, you know, at, at the stations, and it's um, during their shift. Um, uh, in between shifts, and, and that is already um, forming a very, very long queue, and I think taxi drivers would not like it if they have to wait two hours uh, so that their taxis uh, are being charged. Um, Dr. Leung? Yes, um, definitely. Uh, at the moment, all the LPG taxis has to queue up at the designated uh, petrol fueling stations. Uh, we are thinking of distributed charging in future. So, E-taxi could be charged at 
either a, a designated EV charging station, which is converted from a petrol fueling station, or even at the taxi stand. So uh, bec- uh, that is something we will going to test out uh, during our e-taxi trial program. We already installed some uh, e-taxi only charging points at Lantau Island. We, will, we are looking for other suitable locations in the city areas as well, so that when we roll out the e-taxi trial scheme, we will have sufficient charging points for the initial numbers of e-taxis in Hong Kong. Alok, what, yeah. what's your position on well, uh, charging facilities? Well, I think charging facility-wise, uh, we obviously have to rethink the entire infrastructure. I mean, Hong Kong has enough electricity. And I also would like to disengage these two ends of the problem. Uh, at the bus level, the emissions are right at your nose, what you breathe. So it's a public health and safety issue. Whereas what happens at the gas station? Of course, from a climate perspective, uh, they, they are possibly the same because it's the same amount of carbon, you know, GHG and the noxious gases that are going up. But uh, it is more controllable. And as Dr. Learn said, you know, you can at a chimney level, you can do carbon capture. You can do a lot of other technologies you can deploy to control the, what goes into the air. So there is a there's a huge difference from a public health and safety issue. And one thing that I would like to add here is that the electric buses are inherently they have much more efficient drivetrain. So the energy losses, you know, the amount of energy that you have in, let's say, a liter of petrol and what goes into the wheel, compared to that, electricity is much more efficient. It's 20, 30% more efficient. So your energy losses are much less. So it's it's an inherently uh, efficient ecosystem for energy uh, when you deploy electric vehicles. So are you optimistic that right now we have around 3.8% of um, the total cars, passenger cars in Hong Kong being electric, and that um, by early 2030s, every car will be electric? Unless there is a policy push, I don't think that is going to happen. And But yes, uh, th- there is a policy uh, objective at the moment, which is clearly defined that by 2030, we would have, we would stop the sales of, um, you know, gasoline vehicles. And by 2050, we will have all the EVs. And And obviously, I mean, that's a, uh, that's a very big target to achieve, in my opinion, and change, that would require a lot more uh, changing the mindset. That would require a lot of building the infrastructure. And, of course, we would possibly have to implement a number of other policy levers, which, let's say, if China, Singapore, they have done, uh, where in China, if, if you want to buy a car today, a gasoline car, you need a quota. It's a quota system. You can't buy without a quota. So I think those are the kind of levers which Hong Kong has to think of. And uh, But there is a natural uh, inclination towards moving towards EV uh, because of the subsidies, because of the natural advantages that we have. There's a lot of anxiety among the public before they move in terms of charging. But I think slowly that is getting resolved. Well, uh, okay, Paul Bromley, what's it going to take to boost up the, the numbers of EVs? Well, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, um, it, it's really about uh, policy and it's about infrastructure change. I mean, th- th- there does have to be a little bit of a, a, a leap for people here. You know, I mean, it's the same way. I mean, at, at, at 
An interesting fact is that in the US, in the oh, 120 years ago, 36% of the uh, vehicles were electric. And all that happened is people started building fuel stations on the corner of every road. So it then became easy to use petrol-powered cars. And, that, and, and we need to get into that sort of same mindset now as to make it easy to use electric vehicles. And so it's about facilitating the infrastructure to make that change. Um, I, I keep saying that, um, you know, it's also about appropriate technologies. I mean, you know, just charging simply for commercial vehicles isn't necessarily the right, the right solution. There has to be a way to quickly charge your vehicle in the in say 10 minutes like when you go to the fuel station today to fill up your car with petrol and, and those sort of technologies are already available on the market it's more about being able to put them into the marketplace it's trialing them and certainly if we go back to your original point about KMB I know they've looked at a number of technologies over the years and they have been very risk averse and taking it very slowly but there's no reason why all the buses in Hong Kong couldn't be converted in the next 18 years. I mean, bus, bus service life in Hong Kong is an 18-year cycle. Singapore, for instance, has just decide, has decided that they're no longer going to buy fossil fuel-powered buses. So as those buses, old buses, come out of service, they will be replaced by electric. So there's no reason why Hong Kong couldn't follow a similar policy, but it does take the government to involve themselves in assisting in the infrastructure change in order to facilitate that. Uh, Kenneth Lowe, would you like to respond to that? Oh, yes, actually, Hong Kong has been investing in the infrastructures, in particular for the EV infrastructures. As you know, uh, we have introduced the, the, the EV charging at home subsidy scheme. Uh, our primary pro policy for passenger vehicle charging is to charge at home as well as charging at workplace. And that's why uh, uh, we allocated $2 billion to subsidize all uh, residential uh, uh, car parks to construct their own infrastructure for installing UV charging facilities. And it was very successful and we received many applications. And in fact, this year we inject another 1.5 billion into the subsidy scheme. So altogether we will have 3.5 billion. And I think this is quite substantial around the world. And by the end of uh, completing this project, we should have over uh, or maybe around 150,000 private car parks with EV enabled. That means in few years' time, we have the capacity to accommodate 150,000 EV passenger vehicles in Hong Kong. I'm just talking about within five years. So that's why we see that uh, we could really fast-track the transitions of the EV vehicle population in Hong Kong in the uh, private car sector. So, Dr. Lang, the government's target is still, um, you know, to go all electric by um, uh, 2030. Is that still the date? Uh, in, well, if you look at it, our policy released last year, initially we said at 2035 or before, and uh, it's likely that we could uh, move that goalpost uh, closer to 2030. 
Okay. Yes, Paul uh, Bromley. Yes, I'd just like to pick up on what Dr. Lung's saying there, and oh, obviously. It's laudable that they're focusing on reducing uh, emissions from passenger, ve passenger vehicles in that regard. But it has to be remembered that Hong Kong, only le less than 10% of the population are car owners. The majority of people uh, ride on public transport. And so therefore, it's, it's like, it, it's like you, you've got to get the low-hanging fruit. So what's the biggest bang for your bucks is looking at the public transport, particularly when and EPD's own surveys show that over 50% of roadside emissions come from public transport. So that's where we should be focusing, and that's where, you know, in my view, the, the push should be with, you know, in working cooperation with the bus operators in order to um, address that. Alok okay. uh, Jain, you can add to that. Well, absolutely, and I think the other area that we can do, and we have, we, we, we have been looking at things in silos. Now you can see that we have MTR, which is running, which is using a huge amount of electricity. And technically speaking, every MTR station could be a charging location for buses. You know, there is enough electricity there. All you have to do is probably draw it down uh, to a proper, uh, you know, charging unit. That's it. So. I think we need to start looking at it as a, as a, in a holistic manner. I think right now one problem in Hong Kong is that every, although we have very successful public transport operators, they are all looking at their own silos. And there is this mentality about not sharing things. And just, you know, when Dr. Lang was talking about this EV parking and whatnot, there's a huge problem in those 150,000 spaces. They are not standardized. They, they are not interoperable. They have different systems. So you don't know. And there is no information. You don't know how many spaces are available where. So if I'm down to 50 kilometers on my EV and I'm driving to a car park to charge my car, it's not going to help if there is no space available there. You know, so I think those are technological backbones that we need to build on, on the back of the infrastructure. Um, uh, just a, a quick uh, one more email from a, from a listener, Nick. Um, sorry, uh, this is for Dr. Lone. We're going back slightly to what we were talking about a little earlier about uh, um, emissions from power generation as well as opposed to uh, what, uh, what comes from tra uh, traffic on the road. But Nick says uh, average power station efficiency is around 38% while diesels are around 40% so there is little if any CO2 benefits unless the power generation is from non-fossil fuels. Natural gas is still a fossil fuel. Um, any thoughts about that? Well, I think the, the readers quote the average value. Mm. The, the new LNG power plants built in Hong Kong is more than 50% efficiency. Some of them is even closer to 60%. <laughs> that is the latest technology that we are adopting in Hong Kong, not the average one. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Um, we better bring the discussion to a close because we're coming up to 9.30. But uh, thanks very much there to uh, Dr. Kenneth Leung, Assistant Director responsible for air policy at the Environmental Protection Department. Thanks to Alok Jain, CEO of TransConsult and a member of the Council for Decarbonising Transport in Asia. And Paul Bromley, Managing Director of Phoenix Business Consulting. Thank you very much to all three of our guests uh, this morning and to all of our listeners and to everybody who wrote in. And thanks to our co-host, uh, Ada. Thank you, Jim. And I'll be back uh, with uh, Back Chat and COVID Update uh, tomorrow morning with uh, Anna Fenton 
And a quick look at the weather now before we go to the news summary and morning brew. It's going to be mainly cloudy with uh, coastal mist uh, uh, early on. Probably gone by now. <laughs> It'll be hot uh, during the day with a top temperature of about 32 degrees, light to moderate southerly winds. The outlook, mainly fine and hot in the next few days. It'll be windy with more showers and temperatures will be slightly lower next uh, Sunday and Monday. Currently, the temperature is 27 degrees, humidity 80%. Given the volatility of the pandemic, please get the third COVID-19 vaccination dose soon. The antibody level will drop over time after receiving a vaccine. Getting the third jab gives extra protection to guard against the virus. Most importantly, it reduces the risks of severe disease and death. The mutant strains are highly contagious. Get the first and second doses soon if you haven't done so, and receive the third one on time to protect yourself and those around you. Enhance protection. Get all three doses.